Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Ireland's classic hits. Kate Alicia. And she is a survivor of a gang, of gang grooming. Kate was 18 years of age at college when the sexual abuse started. And it changed her life forever. And in her book, No Way Out, which is the title they've given it at the moment, but I believe they're re-looking at the title because it hasn't been published yet. She says that of her rapists, they degraded me to the point where I'd, be, I'd become this sex thing, this thing that wasn't human, but just an object. Kate believes we do not hear enough about the issue of trafficking of girls and also about women who are over the age of 18. We do hear a lot, I suppose, we want to protect children and minors, but we don't hear enough about women who are taken advantage of, 18-year-olds who are taken advantage of in these situations. And she joins me on the line, Kate Alicia. Uh, Kate, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. Um, and thank you very much for having me, um, Niall. So um, thank yeah. you for um, inviting me on the show. Now, I know that you're, you've courageously helped the police with Operation Chalice, which is a groundbreaking investigation into Asian grooming gangs. Well, where, where did it start for you? I mean, at what age were you when this kind of when you met these people first and when it all started? Mm, okay, um, so I was I, I was eighteen. I was doing my A levels at college, so um, I the college that I was at was in a town called Wellington in Telford, and um, I moved out to the. YMCA. So I moved out from my parents' house to the YMCA because there was a YMCA uh, building for young people in um, just around the corner from my college. Yeah. So um, the the YMCA um, houses um, all genders of young people. So not just I know I know the title says uh, Young Men's Association, but it was. For yeah, girls and kind of boys. Unisex nowadays, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was for um disadvantaged young people, so between the age of sixteen and twenty five, although there was no one under eighteen at the time I was living there. Um and so what had really happened to me is I um I was with I was living at my mum's with my brother and sister and my my mum uh, ended up with a new boyfriend who she moved in he wasn't very nice and he um didn't really like us being in the house so when i turned 18 they wanted me to move out so i moved out while i was still at at, uni, at college so you kind of had um, to where and, wanted there yeah 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 and i was um so i was kind of pushed out of the family and um at the time you know that it happened i didn't mind i think i was a bit defiant and I was like I can live yeah, on my own I'm fine. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um so and the the first month in the YMCA, so everything was fine. Um I was sort of getting on with um college work and I was it was coming up to so it was May, so it was coming up to my final A level exams and I'd been there a month and I had seen, I had, so I'd seen some of the dodgy characters around, um, but I didn't really, I didn't really accept them that as dodgy. So, you know, cause the town that I lived in was very quiet, very nice. It was not, it was not a big city. You wouldn't think that there was a gang living on that road. Um, 
So I'd seen them around, but I didn't really know any of them. And there was, so there was one person they were talking about who was coming out of prison. And basically what happened is I didn't even know him, but he turned up at my door one day and broke in and raped me. So, yeah. So I had only, I'd only actually been there for a month when it happened. Um, So how old old was he? Uh, um, he was so he was only I think he was only a year older than me. Okay. Um, but then there were older men after that. Yeah. So um, his him and his cousin and um, uh, 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 another family member of his, they were the three catalysts in part of it. So Operation Chalice. I think they saw nine nine men and there were two brothers. Well, I didn't know those yeah. brothers, but they only lived the road opposite. Um, so I, if I'd have stayed there any longer, I probably would have ended up meeting them. But luckily, I, I didn't have to meet them. Um, so even though some of these horrendous things have happened to me, I still count myself lucky that it wasn't worse than it was because I, you know, I feel that it was for some of the younger girls who... Yeah. Um, were around at the time who were also victims of the same gang. Um, I was going to say, they were obviously notorious and they, they were doing this to many girls, young girls, taking yes. advantage of young girls and grooming young girls um, yes. in, that, yeah. in that situation. Yeah, well, um, so I uh, I reported it the first time and um, I ended up having to report it again later on, but um, mm. one of the men I reported who was also convicted um his name was Muhammad Ali Sultan. He has he's been convicted of multiple for multiple victims now. So he he's um, no uh, I think yeah four I think there's been four other convictions for him, and that's just the people who have managed to secure convictions, uh, not uh, representative of the amount of children that he actually raped so some of a lot most of them were over age un, underage sorry i think it was many me wouldn't have reported us 18 yeah. yeah so i think many many didn't report it and hadn't reported it um but there's four that he's been found guilty of now so uh it must be, it must I don't be quite difficult know. for you when, when you went to report it at the time because as you said it was a small town you know and it, it would have been difficult for you even to do that you know and to come to terms with that as well that must have been quite difficult for you yeah, um, the, I, I reported the first. I reported the first rape. So when he, when the first one, his name was Shamil, when he broke in and raped me, I, I was very clear in my mind at the time that it was rape, even though I was umming and ahhing about it, wh- what I should do about it, and I had second thoughts, and I didn't know, you know, I, I had some idea at the time that I'd been raped, so. I went to the police and I went to the police probably about three days later because I'd been in a state of shock for the first three days um, after following the the rape. And um, the police weren't as I would have expected them to be. I don't know what I expected because I was only 18 anyway, but they, uh, they were discouraging me from reporting it and as rape, and in the end, I just wrote a, a state. Well, they and wrote why, a statement. Why were they, me, they? Why were they discouraging you? 
from reporting it? Why do you think they were discouraging you? So they were di- I think they were discouraging me because they felt that it was very, un- well, they, they know the reputation of uh, rape reports and most of it doesn't make it to court uh, yeah. at the time. I think, I think actually the statistics are a bit better now, but at the time uh, rape was underreported and under-prosecuted. So yeah. we so were like unlikely. 5% felt... or something end up in prosecutions. Yeah, it's a very small amount at the time probably. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's sort of today's statistics. So yeah. back then it was even worse. We're talking about 15 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that must be quite discouraging ago. for you then, that you had kind of built up this bravery to go along and talk to the authorities and, and fight your accuser, so to, or your this predator, and to be told or discouraged, you know, from doing it. It must have been very. That must have been even more difficult for you than after going and being brave enough to do that. Uh, it was really, and it, I think it confused me as well, and I think it added to the the grooming process that I was already well underway of receiving which was that it wasn't that it wasn't rape and that it was my fault and that it was my problem and that it was something that I had to deal with and I don't think the police intended to do that but because everyone around me was somehow blaming me for it then it became it became in my mind my responsibility to do something about or um, or yeah. or suffer with, you know, the, the consequences of my behaviour or my actions. Yeah. So um, I felt it was, con- I, I ended up feeling like that was consensual. And then because I was so clear in my mind that that was rape, then the other times which were more blurry because I'd been pushed into it or I'd been um, coerced into it or I'd been pressured until I'd given up, that I thought was consensual. So then I thought that the other the rates following that were definitely my fault because this time I didn't put up as much of a fight because I'd been raped already, so I was scared, so I didn't put up a fight. So that means that I regret this, but I consented to it, you know, and I couldn't, yeah. in my mind, I couldn't understand why I kept doing this to myself. And yeah, you meant, you mentioned that, of course, that you, you, yeah. you became this sex, you felt you became this sex thing, or the sex object, I suppose, or that you felt subhuman in some way. Um, yeah, and it, uh, that, that is what it feels like. It, it, it just consumes you. It becomes your life. They consume you because they are harassing you all the time. And that's what harassment does. It sort of bogs you down until you're in this very negative, uh, inferior, like, feelings of inferiority. Um, there's like a um, delusional, almost, that you're worthless and that you literally deserve this. And, and what um, was your, your relationship with, with these individuals that were taking advantage of you, that were pressuring you, that were raping you? What was your relationship like with them? Were they... When you say they were grooming and they did groom other girls as well, um, mm-hmm. like what do they do? And we, we talked to Matt Paths here a while ago about children in situations, I say children, teenagers, 16, 17 years of age, who are in, say, care. And there are gangs yeah. who will go to, you know, the homes that they're in and they will bring them shopping. This is what we heard yeah. about two or three weeks ago, which was horrendous. 
and they'll buy them a handbag or they'll buy them jewellery. And these girls are too young to make any decisions around sex. But this is what they're doing and they're bringing them to hotels. Um, and that's how they're, they're grooming these young girls, these vulnerable young girls who are in a very vulnerable situation. I mean, what were the, what was your relationship with these these men? What what were they were they offering anything in return for what they were doing to you, or was it just abuse? So for, for me, there wasn't that much. There wasn't that much. Um, I don't know what you would call it, sort of petting, grooming, in in the way that they would give me gifts. Um, at mm. the most, they might give me the last bit of their slip or something, which is something yeah. that I bargained with sometimes because if yeah. I wasn't getting anything anyway out of it yeah. then I would at least if they offered me something I would take it but they um they they had younger girls around them all the time and I, when I finally figured this out and when I finally realized that uh that they were doing it to other girls as well it did make me realize that all a lot of the younger girls that were around me were also being abused. Yeah. It was really hard to accept that. They would shower them with gifts. They would treat them like they were their girlfriends. Um, I knew several of the guys who had very young girlfriends that were like 13 years old or 15 oh, years old. I met, I met a 15-year-old that they... Um, they knocked on my door in the middle of the night and sort of dumped her on me. And I just wanted to get her away from them. So I just accepted her because they they obviously were trying to, they were, now I know they were keeping her from her parents. Yeah. And that their parent, her parents were probably worried sick for the night. This wasn't the only occurrence. But at least for that one night, I knew she was safe because I was going to keep her safe. Um, that's a horrible thing to remember now because she she was so young and she was so vulnerable. And I remember asking her the question, are you sleeping with them? Yeah. And she was. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, it's heartbreaking to remember. Yeah. And you, you just want to try and protect them then. You just want to try and wrap them up and protect them, you know, and there's not a lot you can do because you just know that she's going back to them again, which that's heartbreaking to even think about that. Yeah, yeah. And if I was, if I hadn't have been a victim myself and I'd been older like I am now, then it would, you know, I, I still hold, I still hold a bit of guilt for not, for not doing more for her. Even though I was, I have to remind myself, you know, I was a victim at the time and I was very young. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I like to try and speak out now is that I, I want to help those girls who were in that position that I couldn't help at the time. And just let them know that there is someone out there who has been through it and this is how I got out of it. The men, by the way, that were doing this, Obviously, you know they were rapists, and clearly deserved to go to jail for a long, long time. Were they were they violent as well as being obviously rapists? And by the way, I'm not minimising the crime of rape. Of course, it's a violent crime in itself. But were they violent? I mean, if people didn't do what they asked or comply essentially with them or consent with them, were they violent? They were. They were very verbally aggressive towards me and threatening. So I would, if I tried to say no, there was 
that there would be a fight or there would be the suggestion of a fight. So mm-hmm. sometimes I would, uh, you know, to be, at the beginning, I was putting up more of a fight than towards the end because towards the end I'd given up on saying I'm, I was there for about four months before I made my first escape. And by the end of the four months, I was exhausted, mentally and physically exhausted from trying to argue with them. But at the beginning, I was a bit more trying to stand up for myself. And um, they would use physical threats to put, to scare me. And because I knew they would win, then I would end up giving up because I couldn't hope to win against uh, a, ma- a grown man when I was just an 18-year-old girl who had no experience in fighting at all, especially not trying to fight a grown man. So they would stand at my... Because uh, they knew where I lived and they would stand at my door and they would verbally push their way into my house. Yeah. And I had no way of physically preventing them getting getting past me or... Um, keeping them out and closing the door once I'd opened it and I blamed myself a lot for opening the door when somebody knocked on the door so I would do all sorts of things like put a note I put a note on the back of of, on the on my door to say don't open the door just to try and remind myself because I was answering the door on autopilot because I was scared but the danger is on the other side of the door so if I keep the door locked shut and locked then they can't get in so the, there's no physical danger on the inside if i you know so i can you be as scared of them as i yes. like but as soon as i let them in then the danger's there uh so i had to but i had to do things to to stop myself opening the door because i would answer it out of fear automatically and then regret it later and then think why did i open the door and people would tell me off for opening the door so i had to you know, that's another way of blaming it's myself. Very it's so very happy. easy for somebody else on the outside looking in, telling you what you should and shouldn't have done. You know, that's that's yeah. really easy. You know, yeah. and, and I know during that period of time as well, you talk about the fact that you had considered even taking your own life. That's how bad things had got. Mm. I mean, that must have been, you must have been on such a downward spiral at that stage. Yeah, I, I, um, I honestly couldn't see any other way out. And because I felt so... Like, this was my life now. Like, I felt, after I'd been raped, I just thought my um, my self-respect and my dignity was just ruined. My self-worth was ruined, and I would be worth nothing to anybody else either. And no one would be able to love me after I'd been raped. And I just couldn't see any way of coming back from that. And... Uh, the only way out I could see was to either end my own life, was basically to end my own life. And the only thing stopping me at the time from making an attempt was I was thinking about if somebody's made me feel this way and I'm going to die because of it, maybe I could take some of them down with me. So that was probably a little bit of my sense of humour coming through as well. Like, mm. I'm not going to go down without fight. Like, if I'm going to kill myself because of this. Um, yeah. I might as well go on a murderous rampage. Yeah. yeah, which of course I was never going to do because no. I'm not that I kind of person. I wouldn't blame you thinking like that. Everybody would be in the same boat thinking like that. I mean, these gangs, 
you know, are notorious. Uh, by the way, I'm so sorry to hear the life that you've had and what you went through with these individuals. Every single one of them deserves to be in jail with the key thrown away. But these gangs, I mean, as I said already at the start, you are helping, uh, you've helped the police with Operation Chalice, which was a groundbreaking investigation into the Asian grooming gangs. But of course, that phenomenon of grooming gangs has been investigated before. We all know about Rochdale and Rotherham and more recently Telford. Is the problem getting any better in the UK? Because, and by the way, it's happening here too, um, but not to the extent, obviously, because it's a bigger population. It's happening in the UK. Is it getting any better? Are the police getting on top of these gangs? I think it's really difficult to say because I think that the police are doing, I think there's more awareness now. And I think there's more awareness in young girls now and I think that, um, and and within the services, so people hopefully have, or young people have got more of a voice. I hope to to speak out. They've got more of an avenue to try and uh, tell tell somebody that this is going on. They've, it's easier to say because we didn't know what grooming was at the time, so we wouldn't have yeah. even been able to pick up those signs. Uh, I think. Some police forces are doing a lot more uh, than than previously they have, but I also think that other police forces in um, different areas are um, not trying as hard as they could. I think some of some of the attitudes are still there that were there before um, about the girls being um, choosing it as a lifestyle. Particularly in um, older girls, say for example, at eighteen. And, and this is the point you yeah. were trying to make is, you know, when we think of grooming and we think of these gangs of grooming uh, and, you know, the rape of, of, of young women, so to speak, we always think of 13, 14 and 15 year olds. We don't think of somebody who's 18 years of age. And we, we say to ourselves, oh, well, surely at 18 they can look after themselves. But if you're a vulnerable person in a vulnerable situation and you see no other way out, you can become a victim of these individuals very easily. Yeah, I think uh, it's a lot easier to become a victim than than you might believe. I think there's um, there's certain safeguards that uh, some people have that actually protects them from this world, so that they never have to become a victim. Um, so things like having enough money to have, I don't know, a ring doorbell outside your house so that you can see who's coming and going yeah. if you've got the luxury of having wi-fi <laughs> yeah. you know and uh, people don't think about those as luxuries they're just standard things because if you're a working person you can usually afford that but when you're when you're 18 and you're still working at mcdonald's because you haven't got your qualifications yet then you're um you're a lot worse off and people ex ex um they don't give you the respect. You know, if you work at McDonald's, you don't get the same level of, sorry, sorry, everyone <laughs> who works at McDonald's, but you don't get the same level of respect in a, in a lower paid job as somebody no, does who's working, um, I don't know, as a doctor or something like that, you know. So they're well protected up there um, with their, um, mm. with their even, even just in your employment, you're protected. Like, um, I was working at Primark when I was while I was being abused, and Primark would never have noticed, you know, or never yeah. spoke to anybody at, at Primark about it. But I would have to walk through the town centre to get the bus back home or get the train back home, and sometimes I would literally get followed. I'd get followed on the way to work by them, 
And one time, you know, I, I was raped on the way to work because um, my neighbour had told them that I was at the train station, so they came to get me at the train station. And she texted me a heads up and said, I've had to tell them that you're at the train station. So I was trying to hide, and I was hiding in the wrong place because they came on the, the other platform. And, I, and so they saw me from across the platform anyway, so... And, you know, I can't, I can't imagine that. what that when you're standing there or you're hiding and you see them. Um, and how many would how many of them would there have been when say in that situation in the train station? How many of them was there? And well, there was there was only two of them at that at that particular time, but it yeah. was one of the it was one of the ringleaders. So um, there was three there was three men that I couldn't escape from. And yeah. Um, what would happen is sometimes if I could, um, if some stranger came up to me, the thing is they'd have they'd have heard about me, so they were had been sent to find me. They knew who I was, so and they were part of the gang, but they were stranger to me. So I could get rid of this stranger quite easily just by you know telling them to shove off and go away. But if they, um, what would happen is they would come back with one of the one of the three main guys. And then I and then I would have to do it. So um, sometimes I was sometimes I'd have a victory and then a loss and then you know. Yeah, I know, I know, and and I'm so sorry. And how are you now, by the way? Fifteen years later, how how do you? I mean, look, you're always going to be a survivor, and it's something that will never leave your mind. It's like a life sentence because of that part of your life. But how are you now? Well, I'm 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 actually very good now, and that's one of the reasons. That one of the things that I want to try and put across to other girls is that there is hope. So, um, if this is what can, if, if this stops you from committing suicide when you're at your lowest, then I just want people to know that it does get better eventually. So I, did, I never thought that I would make it to the age of 30. I thought I'd be dead well before then. So when I was sort of 20, 21, 22, I could never imagine getting to the age of 30 because I thought I would either kill myself or I would die um, in the lifestyle I was living because it was so dangerous. I had too many sort of close calls. Um, or I would die sort of, if so I would, you know, either one of them would kill me by accident or something, or I might die from a drug overdose because I was doing drugs and alcohol and, you know, I was doing all these things that could end my life quite easily so I really didn't think that I would make it to 30 so when I got to 30 it was a bit of a pivotal turning point for me because I was like I actually made it that was a bit exciting you know so my 30th birthday was a bit like I'm still I'm actually still alive I feel like this is actually something worth celebrating and I think yeah you never feel like an adult either until finally you get to 30 and you think, well, I still feel exactly the same way as I did when I was 18, but I must be an adult by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and, truly. And, and yeah, the advice yeah. you would give, if, if if somebody was listening and they happen to be in that situation where they feel they're being taken advantage of by a group of men or a man in that situation and, you know, and they feel like, you know, there's no way out, similar to the way you felt, what advice would you give them if they were in that situation? Um, I'll, the advice I would give is to keep trying, keep trying to get out because you will. You, if you keep trying, you will get out eventually. Keep trying to tell somebody. Keep trying to tell the the 
um, authorities, tell the police, tell tell social services, talk to your social workers, um, try and talk to your parents, just do, um, do whatever you can. If not, if none of that works, just keep trying independently to get out of the situation that you're in and look for ways out in wherever you can find them because there is a way out. And when you get out, it's worth it. It's, it is worth it eventually. Sometimes, you know, even after even after three years after the first time I was raped, I thought, for goodness sake, that's, I mean, that's when I, I did actually take my, try to take my own life three years later. And I, one thing that was going through my mind is I've been hoping to feel better for the last three years. And I haven't. I've wished I was dead for the last three years. So nothing is ever going to get any better. And that was a reason that that went towards me making an attempt on my life. Sometimes we do have to wait longer than three years, and unfortunately, and I know that's horrible, yeah. but it is. But what, I, I can't stress it enough that once you things, once you know, over time, keep trying, you will get out. It can be slow, but it is worth it when you get there. Because now I'm happy that I'm not dead, and. I never would have got here if I'd have died when I was 20, when I took my first, when I took my first overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, it really what's, is what's worth life hanging like on now? for. What's life like now for Case? Um, so I, um, I've, uh, I've, I've qualified at university. I've been a nurse now for 11 years. When I first qualified, I was still vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you're, when you, I qualified, I think when I was 21 or 22, I was still sometimes being abused at that point. Over time, you get more confident and um, you build up life experience, and that gives you more confidence because you, when you've been doing something over and over, you get better at it just by default. And so do you end, up, have, do you end up having to move far away? Like, is it good advice maybe to move as far away as possible from that bad environment and those individuals and start a new life, essentially? So I would say that it is really up to the individual whether they want to move away or not because I feel that moving away helped me and I stay, I've stayed well away for 15 years. And... Um, but one thing I would say that was a negative of that is that I have a habit of running away from situations now. So, yeah. um, and I've had to I've had to work on that in counselling. Like when there's an incident at work, or if I have an argument at work, I don't have to leave my job because of an argument. Um, if I stay on, then I can work think you work things through and things flow over and then work gets easier for you but to begin with I was job hopping a lot because I just would have a bad day at work and then that'd be it I didn't want to be there anymore yeah Yeah, so I would run away because you um, had kind of learned that's how you deal with situations you run away exactly yeah Yeah. and it works it works for me that you get confident at it as well because you're like well I've run away before I can do it again I can move somewhere new and I can start um, I can start again. I know how to get a deposit on a flat somewhere, and you know I've got all these little skills that you learn along the way of how to pack your bags quickly and move out. And I don't always think that's the best thing to do. Um, although when I was 
actually being abused if they're surround if they're surrounding you and you can't escape and they might follow you somewhere if you yeah. move to somewhere else in the same town and they found you then sometimes it is worth moving a long way away where they won't bother to where well, it's not financially isn't unfortunately time consuming for them to come and get you so we still hear about these gangs on a regular basis in the newspapers um they seem to work in large numbers obviously and it's happening here in ireland as well as we only spoke about it on the show we spoke to two experts only recently about girls who are in care particularly girls who are in state care who were being abused and some have actually gone missing we don't even know where they are then we know they're still alive somewhere but they, they go missing in the system so to speak a lot of people sending in some wonderful texts by the way kate wishing you well um, and somebody you. actually mentioned as well, people should go and see The Sound of Freedom. Actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a good movie to go and see if you want to have a better understanding of trafficking, of course, mm. uh, which is, it talks about trafficking from Mexico into America of young children. But you, what you really wanted to highlight was when you think of this kind of thing, don't just think of young children who are very vulnerable at 14 or 15 years of age, but those mm. who are 18 who are also dragged mm. into this world as well. And, and all I can say is listening to your story, um, I empathize completely with you and I understand exactly what you went through. Well, I, obviously, I don't have the experience, but it sounds harrowing. And um, I really wish you well, Kate. I know the book, by the way, is called uh, No Way Out, but I don't think that's going to be the title, is it? That's just a working title, is it? So um, the No Way Out was uh, was published in 2017, but we stopped publishing it in 2020 and I have the rights back to the book. So I'm working on republishing it at the moment with another publisher called Gatecrasher Publishing. Um, okay. And I am hoping for a new title, but we might change it at the moment. Um, okay. But the new title, I think, will be called The Patchwork Girl. Oh, okay. so I think that's, that's more fitting to... My situation, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, putting your life together in small pieces, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it does. It does. It's a good title, Kate. I wish you well. Um, I'm sorry for what you went through in your life, and I hopefully, if any other woman has gone through something similar, hopefully the individuals responsible go to jail for a long, long time. It is one of the worst crimes we could possibly even imagine, particularly as, well as our daughters, sisters, mothers, or whatever it happens to be. And we all mm -hmm. think about that. Mm -hmm. So, listen. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. I appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll get to talk again sometime. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice speaking to you, Niall. Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Oh.